Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us again on The Modern Method. This is Eric Schmidt, your host. I also go by Kane. I haven't decided which one I'm going to be using <laughs> lately, but uh, I guess it's it's going to be uh, Eric for a little while here until I change all the names on all of the platforms that I'm on. <laughs> so today we have Khalid Namar back with us, who was a guest on last week. Khalid, thank you for coming on. I'm happy to be here. I'm starting to get hooked on this thing already. <laughs> so big news this week. Um, the FBI raided Mar-a-Lago, which is Trump's resort in Florida, for what some sources are saying is related to nuclear documents from when he was president. They're saying that he had stored some uh, top secret information at Mar-a-Lago, perhaps in the basement, and what they had described as a locked room that they had told him that he had to do. And um, they got a warrant, long story short, went into his uh, resort and seized what they say is government property. And that's sort of what I know so far. Well, yeah, there, there, there's a story and then there's the real story. Uh, the real story is anyone who can't see that this is just continuation of harassment political harassment that has been going on for five years, that you're just not an honest person. Uh, even Democrats like Andrew Cuomo, uh, uh, Alan Dershowitz, Jonathan Turley, Tulsi Gabbard, others have come out and said, this is totally, totally above the pale, uh, beyond the pale. So what happens is this, presidential documents, there's always uh, some back and forth between the administrations. It could go on for years. Uh, some of the documents uh, from the Nixon administration didn't get returned until almost 40 years later. <laughs> um, Clinton administration, Bush administration, this is normal stuff. Barack Obama still has not turned over 30 million documents from his administration that he promised to have scanned and put online. This is normal stuff here. This is nothing but a ruse uh, because uh, you have two impeachments you have an investigation in New York State with Letitia James on his taxes, which again, things that had nothing to do with his presidency. Mm. Uh, then you have this January 6th Soviet style trial. Now you have this going on. It's, if anyone can see that, hey, there's, if this happened to a motorist who was pulled over every time he left his house, people would be up in arms about it. Right. This is nothing but political harassment. That's all it is. They're trying to find something. You don't go in the first lady's closet looking for documents in her clothes. You're looking for something. There's right. something called the plain view document. So if, if they come in your house with a warrant and there's some kilos of cocaine on the counter, they can't ignore the kilos of cocaine on the counter because they're in quote plain view. Right. You can't say, hey, you're, there's no cocaine in your warrant. If it's sitting out in front of my face, it's fair game. So they're going in the closet looking through her clothes. They knew where the uh, safe was because they told him to put a lock on the, on not the safe, but the, the basement door or something like that. Right. This has been ongoing discussions all year. This is pathetic for a former president to have his home raided by the FBI two years after he leaves office over documents. Documents. Right. Well, they're, they're saying that they're nuclear documents. And did they say they've actually found anything, like anything specific yet? No, because they're going to release the affidavit, which is used to get the warrant. They're going to release all that right. uh, soon. I don't know if it's today. They released it yet. I haven't checked the wires. 
uh, as of uh, today, uh, August 12th at 1 10 p.m. Uh, maybe you can check real quick to see if they've released yeah, anything. See if I can find um, it. These are, again, documents. They've never, uh, they haven't released anything yet. Well, so according to the New York Times, uh, the document connected to the search of Mar-a-Lago will not be made public for now. <laughs> okay. Interesting. And, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There you mm -hmm. go. There you go. Uh, Trump has requested that they release it. Others have requested. His lawyers have said, hey, release it. They couldn't see a copy of it. They, they didn't allow them even on site or in the residence. This is this is complete nonsense that the administration knew about. Uh, Mary, Gar Mary Garland signed off on it. The president of the United States claims they didn't know. Of course you knew. This is, uh, imagine if you go back to the impeachment, the first one, where Trump makes a phone call and says, hey, can you investigate what's going on in Ukraine? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, oh my God, you're investigating a rival, uh, a potential a potential rival, uh, you know, then you get the impeachment wheels turning. Well, guess what? This administration is launching an investigation against a potential rival who used to serve in the office before you. Nothing to see there. Everybody knows this is trying to keep him from running for president again, which is why they're using the insurrection language in the 14th Amendment, right. which is why they are constantly talking about disqualification of office and all this other stuff. I mean, doesn't this hurt their case, though? It does. Raiding a former president's home. I mean, that's not something that I know of ever happening before. No. And it wouldn't happen under normal circumstances. You, you would get a subpoena or a court order or something. You wouldn't send 20 agents to the former president's house with guns. You wouldn't do it. No. So this is all just, I mean, it's its unprecedented to say the least, but um, I guess we'll see what what ends up coming of this. Trump says that they planted evidence in Mar-a-Lago or they, I guess they could just make it up at that point. How could you even really plant things? But he wasn't he wasn't home, right? When they did that, there was just a small yeah. Secret Service footprint. Yeah, he of, was in New York. being there. Yeah. Um, and he's been complying with the entire thing. So this is normal. Yeah. Normal back and forth over doc. We're talking about documents. Okay. We're not talking, you know, this is typical stuff back and forth. You don't issue every judge with any sense has said you don't issue uh, uh, a warrant for, and send 20 agents with weapons to the home of a former president over documents. You get a subpoena, a court order, or something like that. You don't do it this way unless you right. have another motive. And this is all about the smear. This is all about the show. You sent agents to 20 agents to arrest Roger Stone, who's a boob, a political uh, dirty trickster. And after 20 agents and frogmen to his house, apparently he thought he was going to swim away out of his uh, lake in the back of his home or whatever, he's out the same day on bond. So how dangerous was he right. for you to send 20 agents to his house with weapons and then he's out in three hours? Right. I'm sorry. I just can't. I just can't buy into this. Yeah. I mean, I'm just so I'm what I would like to describe as a recovering liberal. So yeah. I've been raised. I was raised in. I was raised in a liberal household with all the same sort of ideals and um, uh, ethics that they would say that they follow. And the more I've been on my own, which is all. I mean, I'm younger. I mean, it's only been four years at this point or something, but that the longer that I'm out seeing the world and processing it on my own without those influence, influences far away from home, the more conservative I've become and the more skeptical I become of those types of, um, that type of reporting. Yes. 
I'm 15 years recovery myself. So yeah, so yeah, it's a long road apparently. Yeah. <laughs> so I still I still have tendencies to wanna to wanna believe things like um, things that either family members or friends or or teachers would say that are gonna be on the side of or just against Trump, just like the never Trumpers, just the never. He can't do anything right, not a single thing. He has no rights at all. He must have done something horrible to deserve this. And I just can't sit here. I'm not going to say that he's a good person. I actually don't necessarily think that he's a great person in the first place, just because of all the things that I know about him. I mean, he's a cutthroat business guy. He's not going to be the nicest person on the block. He just isn't. But he does. He is an individual. He does have rights. He is a citizen. He's not been... I mean, he's being tried for a bunch of things, but he has not been convicted of anything so far. And as murky as his background is with, um, have you heard about some of the uh, money laundering that he did through Florida that was supposedly like funded by Russia or something? They paid a ridiculous amount of money for a piece of land that they were going to build on and then they never built on it. And that was just a way to, to funnel money. Or there was the um, Trump Tower incident in Azerbaijan that was built the shell was built never opened and that was allegedly a way to funnel money to the taliban that's what i'd um, like to say yeah well I, there's so much i can add here let me just say this trump is like a lot of people uh he's a mixed bag right yeah, yeah. if you deal with a lot of his employees they love him they got all these stories of generosity of him uh things that he's done uh, over the years i know some things that he's done for people but then you have also the cutthroat stuff he is a business guy from new york he's a street fighter he's a smash mouth kind of politician on top of that but if you look at the things that they're looking at as president they haven't looked at anything regarding his presidency most of it's been things that he's done before he was president or have nothing to do with the office at all right uh, now if you if you know how trump operates now with his business he has pretty much nothing to do with those buildings that are built. Uh, he, he puts his name, he's a brand. Most right. fast food restaurants and hotels do not own the name on the building. They right. let you take the risk and they just sell you the brand. So Trump will cut a deal with somebody in Kazakhstan to build a Trump Tower. Uh, they'll pay him $5 million up front or something. Right. And then they can build a building and he'll help promote it and sell the condo. Well, that's exactly what he did in Manila, in the Philippines. He doesn't own that building. He just, it's literally licensing his name. That's it. That's it. So he and, he and he put his name on a lot of stuff from Trump ice to 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 an airline. I right. Think an airline. And, and maybe Trump, he yeah. maybe he really did license his name to some skeptical individuals or something like that. That doesn't Probably. necessarily put him at fault for yeah. what is going on, um, because, again, they like like the thing that I was saying with Azerbaijan, it never opened. Right. Like it's still just sitting there. Um, everything to do with that is very weird. Um, that's yeah. sort of getting off subject, I guess. But um... but 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 I but I, I think to circle back to your point though about what they're looking at, it's constant again political harassment. Uh, it, they're stretching the law. This, these impeachments were nothing but jokes. If you, I've read six books on impeachment, and the more I learned about impeachment, the angrier I got that this yeah. was just complete nonsense. They take uh, it's like silly putty. They take the law. And they stretch it to fit what they want it to fit because they're right. politicians and no one's going to check them. And it's the tyranny of the legislator people should be concerned with and not necessarily a president because the legislator is far more powerful, as you can see. And lawyers, as for instance, if you allow every prosecutor in every jurisdiction to harass the president, you're going to have a difficult time. Yeah. 
we could go on and on about that subject, but um, let's move on to the main topic of discussion for today, and that is legalization of marijuana. Uh-huh. I think that this is going to be interesting because I think that we're both on different sides of it. Maybe this has to do with me uh, leaving the liberal side a lot soon, a lot more recently than you have, but I am a proponent of marijuana legalization, and the reasons that I am going to cite for that are going to be um, economic impact with regard to jobs and tax revenue and the freeing up of resources in uh, services such as police and um, prisons. Okay. So to me, there's not really a huge reason to, and I can, I'm going to bring up numbers with this too. Um, I just want to sort of get a sense of where you're at. Well, um, I am for legalization uh, for medical purposes. Okay. Because I know it helps a lot of people with all sorts of pain and things. I think it's a better alternative than some of the drugs that are out here. Uh, most people with MS, it, it's effective in, in dealing with pain um, and cancer and other things. So yes, I'm all for the medical marijuana industry. Um, the recreational side, I think has very uh, few benefits because I think of the money that you may save on incarceration, which again, I don't think a lot of people are arrested for weed as much as people say after working in correction system. It's like, I think that those charges, you have to look at those charges in context of everything else. So say if you're arrested for a violent crime and you're arrested for traffic uh, problems as well, all in one arrest, all those things go in a different category. Right. So if I catch you with a little weed in your car, Okay, you're being charged with the weed, you're being charged with suspended license, no insurance, running a red light, and maybe have a warrant for you to appear warrant. All these things go into this big bucket of charges. People are not serving time for marijuana. They're, they're being charged with possession of it, no doubt. Uh, Amon Shumpert for the Cavs going through the airport a couple weeks ago, got caught with it. Uh, that is one thing. And, but for all the money you save on arresting people for weed, there's a lot more money you're spending on other issues, as I'll talk about later. Okay. Like in Colorado. Right. So, because I think you're in Colorado right now. I am. Right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Good. Yeah. So, and, that, and that's one thing that I wanted to bring up too is that um, out here, so back in Cleveland, you know, Ohio, it's, it's not legalized there. So, it's just totally illegal, anyways. They don't have to put up safety campaigns and things like that. The, um, Department of Transportation, like ODOT doesn't have to do that, CDOT does, and local government likes to do that too. So when you're on the highway, you know those digital billboards that'll be over the interstate, you will actually see um, slogans that'll say something along the lines of driving high is an OVI or something like that because it's under the influence. Like just because it's legal and just because it is an alcohol doesn't mean that you're not under the influence of something. What um would I rather have people driving high than drunk? Probably, <laughs> but that doesn't, I'm not trying to pick between the two. But at, at the same time too, what I'm, what I'm thinking of, should recreationally, like what, what are the problems that it causes in the first place? Um, there, there are problems with, I mean, it's not an especially addictive substance. People in like our D.A.R.E. group in school and things like that like to tell us that it's a gateway drug, it's not addictive. And that's probably true, but it is addictive to a degree. You can get addicted to that substance. Um, you can get addicted to anything. It's just not highly likely. And so 
opponents of marijuana legalization would like to say that marijuana has a negative effect on children because it encourages it from a young age. And then that would lead to all these other problems. Um, I don't see that. I mean, people are always are going to abuse things, but wouldn't that, if we were going to say that this is a problem, shouldn't we say that alcohol is a bigger problem than this? Yeah, I mean, of course, I definitely believe alcohol is a bigger problem. than I mean, absolutely. If you just look at the the health issues, the problems that it causes for the average person on the workplace, the average person on the workplace who has a problem is alcohol. It's not anything else. It's, you know, uh, lawyers, lawyers have a huge problem with addiction in terms of alcohol. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the health reasons, the cirrhosis of the liver problems, uh, the alcohol, alcohol is the number one addicted uh drug, so to speak. So absolutely it is. People are more in, have, in rehab for alcohol than anything else. Yeah. Even though you have the opioids that are the biggest problems. And we just have a society that has addiction issues, which causes all sorts of family breakdown and all sorts of other things. But I'm for medical marijuana for sure. Right. I, I, am, I am completely just not necessarily a fan of recreational. Um, people, people can do what they want. But I think if you want to do what you want, and that's why I never be a libertarian, because on the one hand, if you are for people being able to do what they want, that's fine, but they should be able to pay for themselves. And if I have to step over you on my way to work because you're sleeping under a bridge, right? that's not my well, problem. And, and homelessness is a whole sort of separate subject, too. I don't, I mean, I'm wondering what the correlation between marijuana legalization is to homelessness rates. Um, that would be really hard to sort of narrow down and actually draw a correlation between the two. And I, I also, I forgot to preface this. I do not like marijuana. I mean, it's, it's legal here. I just, I can't stand it. I don't have a problem with other people using it though, because of the impact on the economy is, is going to be my number one um, citation for why I think it should be legal. So before we had talked about how much it costs like how much we would save if we if it was legal to where the police didn't have to worry about it. This is according to an article on Investopedia, which says a 2013 report by the American Civil Liberties Union found that costs at the time were approximately $3.6 billion a year that they were spending on. I think that's all encompassing. That's going after people time spent in court courtrooms um, trying against either marijuana possession or like if it was excessive or or something, which I think that there are a lot of cases of um, how much then it would cost to keep them in prisons and like the whole reform deal was all of that was estimated to be 3.6 billion a year. Now you had mentioned too that you could be charged with that, but really the main offense would have been their registration is out of date or they had an active warrant for something else and it wasn't necessarily related to the marijuana. So there's an argument to be made there. It's still a lot of money though that would otherwise be freed up. And we've seen in Colorado in 2021, Colorado collected $423 million of tax revenue from marijuana sales because it's legalized here. And that much of that went to the public school system to fund it. Okay. Which I think is a huge boon. And that's up every year. They, this article estimates that if, if marijuana were legalized federally, that it could generate $105 billion in aggregate federal tax revenue by 2025. 
So there's there's so much good that could be done with it. Um, and everybody's everyone wants to abuse something. We were talking about alcohol before. Um, this generates much more than what I'm seeing in taxes collected from even alcohol, which taxpolicycenter.org says in 2019 was $10 billion. This is 10 times that. Because I, and I think I've been, okay, so I don't smoke, I've been to dispensaries, I'm not going to lie, with friends, um, and they pay something like 30% tax on that against maybe, I want to say, 8 to 10% on alcohol. So, which I mean, is, it's which three is, times which, as much. Which is fueling the black market. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, and Definitely. that's a problem too. I am for regulation. So, if you were growing... Some states have more, some states where it's legalized have more regulation than others do on um, the dispensaries and the uh, nurseries where, where marijuana is grown at. And some of them are just almost completely hands-off. And that can cause problems like growing mold on plants and things and have all these adverse health effects just because it's not regulated enough. And I am absolutely for a ton of regulation for it because obviously, I mean, it's it's something that you're literally consuming. You're putting in your body. Of course, it needs to be, in my opinion. I don't know what um, what Colorado's regulations are, but that's that's something that I would be wary of if I was looking to buy it. But this, but legalizing marijuana also fights against the idea of buying it on the black market then too. It's not, and I say those things, that's not common. It's not common to find a marijuana plant that is growing mold on it, that is gonna carry diseases, that is going to harm you, even if someone's growing it in their basement. Um, it's not like if we legalized LSD for some reason, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think you get my point. Well the, well, the taxes are going to drive the black market, which is what they do in cigarettes, even though it's not as common. Uh, for instance, I don't know if you remember that Eric Garner situation where the heavyset guy was, you know, got to put into a chokehold by the police uh, in New York about okay. 10 years ago or so. But anyway, he was selling Lucy's, which are loose cigarettes, which people do because of the taxes are so high in Jersey. Right. Cigarettes. Uh, uh, I spoke to our state director because I work with Americans for Prosperity, full disclosure, and uh, well, assistant state director. She was talking about the amount of black market marijuana that's out there that dispensaries and others are are selling uh, because of the taxes and so forth. So I would imagine if you have a thirty percent, thirty percent taxes, it was it was very high. It was over yeah, twenty, that, I think. That's insane. I mean, yeah. it was ridiculous, and maybe that needs to come down. You might see a spike it's in sales. Got to come down. Too. Yeah, but if. If you think about it, though, I mean, I understand you want to save money if you could just buy it off somebody isn't that better, but selling marijuana illegally is illegal. You you can't sell it if you're not a licensed, just like you can't just make moonshine and run it anymore, like it's the 1880s in Kentucky. So wouldn't you rather pay a little bit more than risk being caught for it, number one, and then all of the other health concerns that could come from it? I mean, th there should be a lot more education about it, I think, for sure. Well, what I learned also is that because uh, I, I attended the marijuana convention back in Vegas six years ago, well, 2016, and what happened, I learned from a lot from the people in California and Oregon about the market out there. Yeah, you have a lot of Mexicans uh, who did not like the legalization of marijuana because they had their own uh, uh, industry with brickweed, they call it. Mm -hmm. you, you had the stuff going on in California for years. You got guys out there who were living outside the system for decades. They are never going to be part of the system. They're going to stay doing what they're doing because it's like, why would I want to enter the system? I'm fine. 
Uh, two, Colorado has a study, uh, an impact study released through the Rocky Mountain High Intensity Drug Trafficking Area Program. Are you familiar with that? No, uh, um, I, okay, good. They said, uh, since recreational marijuana was legalized, traffic deaths in which drivers tested positive for marijuana have increased 109%, while all Colorado traffic deaths increased 31%. And it says since recreational marijuana was legalized, traffic deaths involving drivers who tested positive for marijuana more than doubled from 55 in 2013 to 115 and killed in 2018. And then you have uh, the uh, marijuana use ages 12 and older increased 58%. It's now, it's a 70% higher than the national average ranked fourth in the nation. Adult marijuana use increased 94% and 96% higher than national average. College marijuana age use increased 18% and is 48% higher than national average. Currently ranked sixth in the nation. Youth marijuana decreased 14% and is 40%. Uh, youth marijuana use decreased 14% and is 40% higher than national average ranked sixth in the nation. So then they talk about public health issues, marijuana overdoses, hospitalizations have increased. Yeah. Something like that. So yeah. I always say the money you're not spending on incarceration, you, you, you might be spending somewhere else when it comes to say people ended up in hospitals who can't afford to pay. Somebody has to pay that. So it's kind of like money moving around in different areas. I would say. Yeah, and I I understand that point too, and I think that that's I think it's a good point. Um, I have never seen a state with worse drivers than Colorado. <laughs> wow. No, like no, it's it's so bad that. I used to work between offices in Colorado Springs and Denver. And if you're not from here, those are about an hour apart-ish. And there's one highway basically that goes through there and that's I-25. And it is, there's nothing. There's nothing out there. There's barely even any exits. So when you're on there, you're stuck. And they've been trying to widen it. So they have construction going on. And I'm telling you, three times out of the week, you will get stuck in traffic for hours because one person crashed and or someone's pulled over on the side of the road and everybody loses their minds. Wow. It is so awful. I can't even describe it. Um, those statistics make me think a little bit now about how how marijuana might have affected it. I don't know what it was like beforehand. I mean, it's been so long. Hasn't it been like 10 years since it's been legalized in Colorado? It's like 20. I think so. You, you are one yeah. of the first states to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I obviously don't, I mean, I wasn't even, 2012 was the first year I was even able to drive and I didn't even live here. So I don't know what it was like beforehand. There's also been such a huge increase in immigration from other states. Now, that's that's one quick point. I did read a few years ago, a guy who ran a homeless shelter was talking about the number of homeless uh, that have increased in his shelter. Mm -hmm. It was actually, actually, it wasn't a report I read. It was a program I saw where he was saying that he was full now because all these people came from California so they could smoke. Uh, right. Legally, yeah. Right. Um, but so many people from California also are not used to this climate. And I don't know what it is that they do out there. I don't know what's in the water out there that they got into our water here. But like, it, it's just, it's so awful. I don't want to encourage anybody to try it because you might end up in an accident. It is that bad. Really? Yeah. Um, even, even just from Northern Colorado Springs to downtown, uh, every morning it was, if, you, if it's eight o'clock, someone wrecked. So you got to go before. Oh my goodness. You got to leave a few minutes early because you will get caught in it. I mean, it is just, I just can't. I, I just couldn't can't even, I could imagine it. No. So, I mean, and that might be getting off the point a little bit too, but we, I mean, there's also a really incredibly high homeless 
um, right here. If you look it up, it's not going to say that it's much different than other cities, but um, try walking around downtown and not getting um, harassed or attacked by someone strung out on something. I, I would think that, you know, I've never smoked, I've only had two drinks in my entire life and I've never smoked anything mm -hmm. at all. Uh, and I would think based on some of the people, and I know some people are functioning, uh, I'll call them functioning potheads. And, and one thing I learned is that you can't tell a pothead by the way he looks. No, you know? but, <laughs> and I don't think that a lot of these people that are out there, I don't think that this is affected by marijuana. I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, mental health is probably the biggest, um, the biggest contributor along with other things. I mean, I'm sure that they're on something, but I mean, they're also just exhausted from the heat. The sun is 25% more intense here and we have 300 sunny days per year that can't oh, be wow. helping you with, with zero water. Wow, wow. So people are also just dehydrated and acting insane anyways, but local government doesn't want to do anything about that. Hmm, that, that's, that's interesting. I've always wanted to visit Colorado. I've never been to the Southwest United States at all. Not Arizona, not Colorado. It's definitely somewhere to visit. I'm not trying to say that Colorado is a bad place, but I am trying to say that their social, um, how do I put this, social law uh -huh. is so liberal that it actually hurts. And that doesn't hurt, like it doesn't, oh, it hurts my heart. Well, it actually does hurt my heart, but it encourages homelessness. They say around here, if you ask somebody, because when I first moved here, I saw that this was such an enormous problem. They want to be this way. So I'm looking up here, just a, a quick thing from the uh, Colorado Springs Gazette, that the sheltered population last year was recorded at 1,200 homeless people in provided beds. That's downtown Colorado Springs. This is a town that does not have buildings going over 15 stories because it's, it's so small. It's a very large, small town. The, the population here, I think, is at this point over 400,000, so this might not sound like a lot, but I'm telling you, you come here, that it, you're, you're taking 1,200 people out of the downtown area, which might as well be, I don't know, 10,000. So 10% is a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's this is absolutely abnormal, and no other place in the world is like this. Like, this is, and Denver's even worse. Oh, wow. There was, there was a point in time where I was, um, I had visited some friends from the office up there and we had went downtown and walking along the street you could not do it alone every little nook and cranny that you could see that somebody could get into was in there shooting up heroin or something so again this is sort of getting into a more homelessness discussion and i think that's that's definitely something that we should pay attention to but i don't think that marijuana has this type of effect i don't think that this is that this is the fault of legalization of marijuana. I, I think it is not the fault, but it's it's more like a component of it, because I think there are people who who do multiple drugs. Mm -hmm. There are people who, like for instance, your homeless population was affected by the marijuana legalization. Your homeless shelters were 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 more full because of it. I mean, people know yeah. the Not to mention, uh, I think I heard uh, somewhere that an extra fifty thousand people came into Colorado from elsewhere during the legalization years. Either they were looking to get rich, either they were looking to just smoke or they were whatever, but that added to your population. I'm sure that you've noticed it. I don't know how long you've been in Colorado. Um, um, 20 months. Oh, you've been on 20 months. Yeah. 
Okay, so um, I can say that if you look at the correlation between drug, liberal drug policies, homelessness, crime, people living on the streets, right? it's pretty obvious what it does to the like population. If you look at Colorado, you look at San Francisco, you look at Los Angeles, you look at Portland, you look at Seattle. These places have become, I, I, I had someone tell me, uh, a coworker that a friend of hers lives in Seattle, six minutes from her job, she will not, she will not uh, walk, she will Uber. No, no, yeah, no, you, you just, you absolutely can't do that. I mean, um, so just to give you sort of a frame of reference, I was an IT manager for an advertising agency downtown. Downtown's a very small area. It's, I don't know, less than 10 blocks by 10 blocks. It's just very, very small. And most of those buildings are within four or three blocks of each other. So you don't have to go very far to get anywhere. And no women would walk around on their own, generally, even in the middle of the day. That is not something that someone would feel comfortable doing necessarily, just because of the problem with all of the harassment that could go on. Wow. And that's and that's not from normal people. That's from people that are like police will be there. They will be on their bicycles watching, making sure nothing is happening, but not actually being proactive and doing something about it. The building that I worked in was right next to a bus station, and that bus station, you could I didn't want to walk past it. I mean, I'm a six foot, you know, plus male i don't want to walk past that bus station i even have a problem with it and it's it's just so confusing to me and downtown areas are never going to be the safest in the city anyways i understand that but this is just exceptional i think that uh our population which even in my lifetime because okay so we had 1960s which was a, obviously a drug decade Lots of drugs mm -hmm. in the 1960s. That's where really all of our problems started in the 1960s. That's a whole other argument. Yeah. Then in the 70s, cocaine became big in the 70s, not in the 60s, 70s. Then 80s, you had something else. Now we have this opioid age. Uh, now we're legalizing marijuana, which some people have said has been long overdue. I am not necessarily a fan of any of it, to be perfectly honest with you, because I, I look at our, our, our country as a whole and whether or not we are progressing, whether or not we're producing, our governments are, are, become, our governments are becoming more irresponsible with more power and more money they get. The, and if the people are becoming irresponsible as well, that's not a good combination. If our cities are breaking down, becoming unlivable because of social decay and social fabric is breaking right. down because everybody can't necessarily take care of themselves. The whole thing to, for young people, and I tell them, you have to be able to take care of yourself because if you can't, somebody else is going to have to do it. And uh, working in corrections, I've seen many people who I had no confidence that they could take care of themselves. They couldn't, make, they couldn't get up and go to the doctor. They couldn't, they couldn't attend a class. They have to be made to do everything for themselves. They can't come on schedule to stand in line and get medication without being the last one running out or the nurses right. running out. I would say, wait a minute, you, you have to be responsible enough to take care of your, your responsibility. You, you can't sleep all day. Uh, all these things are, are, are scaring me in terms of how productive are we going to be? Who's gonna develop microchips for us in the future? Who's gonna uh, fly our airplanes? We have a pilot right. shortage. We have a police officer shortage. We have a teacher shortage. We have a fireman shortage. 
We have a shortage of corrections officers and prison guards. We have a shortage of social workers uh, and, and foster homes. This is stuff that concerns me. Right. Because we're producing people who are going to need to be take, taken care of, but who's going to take care of them? Right. So when it comes to um, incarceration for possession or for just using marijuana, whatever it is, I mean, they, they do happen. Let's say that there may be a little bit less than what they're um, were reported to be. But would you be more in favor of rehabilitation versus strict incarceration, which is just like punishment, like go to the corner? Or would you be more in favor of you fell into this, get them maybe less addicted to things or just rehabilitate them and then um, release them? There's Okay, so the, the question, there's two issues there for me personally. Okay. Uh, if someone is, for instance, uh, addicted to some substance right and, and you are not a criminal but you need help right right uh yes i'm all for rehabilitation but if you're but forceful yes but if you're committing crimes and you're a danger to society and you have substance problems i am right. for both okay you have to be taken away from society society has to be protected and you should be forced to get help so you don't recidivate Right. Now, I would I would totally agree with that. So in the cases of I mean, I even knew some people in the high school that I went to that I wasn't necessarily friends with, but people, it was very small. I mean, it, our, my graduating class was like 80 some people. So everybody knew everybody. People getting in trouble and having these um, either juvenile um, juvenile sentences or something for possession of this, this and this. In my in my opinion, they shouldn't just be thrown in jail, which is what happened to them. It should be more of this. This is a young teenager, basically, like they're eighteen years or younger, or they're under twenty five or something like that. They're not doing anything um, to hurt anybody necessarily. Uh, the people that are selling it, maybe that's a little bit bigger of a problem because you are actively growing substances and selling them to other people, and that's illegal. You can't do that. I mean, you are at fault for so many things, regardless of what it is. Um, but rehabilitation to me would would take away a lot of, I think, the pain that society feels from illegal substances, if that makes sense. Well, let me tell you something I'm in favor of, which we should have done 30 years ago, but we didn't. I would have been, uh, you know, happy if we had uh, had to put more millions of dollars billions of dollars into preventative uh measures 34 years ago because yeah you've had so much social decay and breakdown over the last 30 years which is worse than when i was growing up and i grew up in the crack era in the, in the 80s and this is worse because you have the opioid addictions now yeah. which across the board um and something you will never see splattered in the headlines there are more there are more white females incarcerated more than there than has ever been before really yes driven by opioid addiction um that's a huge problem yes it is yeah huge and huge. that from what i remember that is that has overtaken um deaths responsible for opioids has overtaken car crashes deaths responsible by car crash in ohio anyways that statistic is what i heard that was years ago yes yes and and the suicide rates in these places have gone these in suburbs have gone up in rural towns mm. Uh, the, the, the jails are full in a lot of rural towns. Is, you know, they're devastated with opioid addictions. Uh, so I'm just looking at it as a whole. Now, marijuana medically, 
I think yeah. it's helping a lot of people, and I'm for that. There are people who say, uh, who, who won't get addicted to say opioids because they're, they're using alternatives. I am all for that. I am all for people not getting more addicted to pills uh, because these pills have been flooded into the market over the last 20, 20 years or so. It has caused major issues. What if there's uh, less addictive alternatives that can help? I'm all for it. So I think we, we agree there. Uh, I just, as far as seeing the impact of, of, of legalization, uh, I, the government getting more tax revenue, very rarely are they more responsible with it. If they can fund, right? <laughs> I mean, know. it's it's a I mean, it's a lot. It is a lot. So, um, but that also comes down sort of to it, right now. That is sort of like a states' rights sort of deal. You do what you want with the money in your state because you passed this law. So yep. the state needs to be responsible, and that's a lot more easy. That. That's easier to regulate, mm -hmm. especially somewhere where the population like here is 5 million. That's not a lot of people, really. And all of them are in Denver, basically. They're well, yeah, very yeah, irresponsible, yeah. irresponsible people. You have about 5 million people in Colorado total? Yeah, and it's like twice as big as Ohio is. But that's because oh. everybody lives in basically two cities. It's Colorado Springs, which is less than a million. And then it's Denver, which is nearly five. That's that's right. Those only I can only name three cities in Colorado, and that's... Uh, well, four Carson. Well, Fort Car. Well, Carson, there there's a there's a county. There's Fort Carson. Then yeah, Fort Carson. The, yeah, yeah, and that's Carson. but that's Colorado Springs. Okay, okay. Yeah. So basically, you're right. Colorado Springs and Denver. <laughs> right. Um, the rest of the state is extremely conservative, but it doesn't matter because they're less than ten percent of the population. Wow. So it, it really like you're speaking for one city. One city will determine every single thing that happens here which is kind of fair that affects the most people by and large. Right. Um, but it's, it's its own thing. Also have like, have fun trying to regulate what you passed in Denver with somebody out in Gunnison. It's not working. So, so what is the, I guess the overall consensus of people there? Do they think it was a good decision? To legalize marijuana oh yeah yeah you're probably not gonna find somebody that said the weird thing is i've never worked in an environment where they allow you to just uh, to unnecessarily abuse alcohol which which i guess is just sort of like the ad world i didn't know that before i worked there and i'm not even in advertising i was in um internet technologies i was doing that for them but i remember my first day walking in and someone I didn't see it, but you obviously you know the smell of marijuana when you smell it because it's so intense uh -huh. and like you're smoking it at work. It's it's that that's a problem to me. Yeah, I mean, that that, like that's an that's an etiquette sort of issue. Number one, and then number two, like what are you doing? Wow, yeah, that that is so, a problem. And but I, I think I read somewhere in Colorado that there was a shortage of um, of uh, public transit operators uh, in. In Denver. So, well, I don't live in Denver, so and I don't use public transportation hardly oh. at all. I've never used the tram system here, anything. So I really can't speak to that. I try to avoid Denver as much as I can. <laughs> um, I will go there for a concert or two, and that's like the downtown area. So you'll find someone riding a bike around with a carriage on the back of it, and they'll take it, and it'll just be like that. So there's plenty of transportation when it comes to that type of thing. But you're not going to ride a carriage to work. So, um, I don't. I don't really know. It's not a thing in Colorado Springs. Colorado Springs is much like anywhere that you're going to see in Ohio. You need a car to get around. It's so spread out. I mean, it's probably 
from Fort Carson all the way up to where I am, which is the top end of it, that must be 20 miles. Hmm. So there's no rail system. There are buses, sure. But nobody uses those. And, and, and the reason why I ask that question is because I, I, I know that right now in many places there are, there are employment barriers. Now, some employers have lower their standards in order to, to get people to the door because they need mm -hmm. workers they've even uh decided they weren't going to test after 30 days because just to get you through the interview process they for transportation employees? Um, well not for transportation necessarily uh or even say some manufacturing jobs sure uh, they weren't going to test you for marijuana uh coming through the door they said look you know just get through the interview process because they just need somebody to work they just need somebody to work <laughs> well and they would probably see that they well number one they're obviously going to be able to hire more people because that you're taking that restriction away too but i don't i just don't i know people here that smoke and they're totally productive fine individuals i know that that doesn't always happen but i mean you can always get somebody who is just not productive because they're not productive yeah, but but that's what I'm saying. I know there's some high functioning, you know, yeah. pot smokers, and then there are some your typical munchies. Uh, but I think those are abusers, though. I mean, the stoners. There's a lot of yeah. stoners out here. Yeah, <laughs> so, I knew a ton of them uh, when I worked in places where you know they weren't going to come to work all the time, or they were going to come to work late, or mm -hmm. you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think that Ohio's conservative enough that you're not going to see that pass. Probably oh, no, at least not. in the next few years. No, um, definitely not. I, and I, I, I don't want it to. The, the, the medical, and I, I, let me give you something that you yeah. find interesting. The, the medical industry in, in this state, it came in with so much fanfare and so much optimism, and it has pretty much fallen off a cliff. If, if, you, didn't, um, if, you, if you didn't know better, you would think that there was no medical industry here. There's a couple of dispensaries around, mm -hmm. but it's not like you go to Vegas, you've been to Vegas. It's not like you go there and you see evidence of the industry all over the place, right? right? right. Here, you drive around and you just don't see any right. evidence of the medical marijuana because the industry, they didn't sell as much weed as they thought they were gonna sell. Uh, all these dispensaries popped up all over the place and growers and uh, you, you see no evidence of it. So yeah. I think they overestimated its impact here. Yeah. Um, but what is even the need for medical marijuana? I mean, I know that that could, that could be really effective for people with epilepsy. Mm -hmm. um, there's someone that my sister was, is friends with that um, has that disease or that, yeah, that has that problem, has epilepsy. And she spent a semester or something in Amsterdam and she would have epileptic episodes and just out of nowhere, seizures and things like that. And then it came to a point where when she was in a place where she could get it legally, she had it and she didn't have a single episode for months. Wow. But it yeah, would be, it, yeah. I think, I think it definitely has its benefits. Montel Williams, the uh, former talk show host has been a big advocate of medical marijuana because he has uh, MS which he said that his pain became so great that he contemplated suicide previously because he had so much pain. And now mm -hmm. he's been smoking over the last decade or so, and it's helped his pain, it's helped him deal with things. And I've heard that from several people that the pain uh, yeah. of chemotherapy 
uh, or the you know things of that nature. So I, I am yeah. all for that. Absolutely. For so that. so you can either smoke some weed or the doctor can give you a bottle of liquid Percocet. Uh, yeah. So which is which is better? I mean, over drug over prescription and stuff like that too is a whole separate issue and right. is also um, a major problem. And I think way more than this. So something just came came to mind. So during my undergrad, we were assigned to read a book. I can't even remember what class it was, but it. I don't know if you're familiar with the new Jim Crow. Yes, Michelle Alexander, yeah. Yeah, where they describe the war on drugs being the new Jim Crow laws. Yeah, which I think is silly, but... Um, what's your opinion on that? Uh, I, 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 these people can't resist comparing everything to Jim Crow. And it takes somebody born in probably the 80s or the 90s to make such stupid comparisons. Uh, my, my father grew up in Mississippi. Uh, and my mom is from Little Rock, Arkansas. Well, Pine Bluff, Arkansas where schools were desegregated in Little Rock in, in during her childhood, where you had legalized segregation, uh, legalized discrimination from schools to water fountains to, you know this, you know the history. Yeah. Well, my father's family had to leave Mississippi, him and his brothers, because the sheriff told my grandfather, hey, you gotta get them out of here because of, uh, they, were, they were fighting back against some of, the, some of the good old boys down there and he was afraid for their safety. Okay. Uh, this is a really serious time. Yeah. Uh, so now for people to sit up and compare everything to Jim Crow, which I think is more so done for the dramatic effect, uh, people make a choice to use marijuana and to commit crimes. Nobody chose to be segregated against or, or discriminated against during the 40s or 50s or 60s. And this type of thing, most of the people who have, who have died from drugs, for instance, uh, were Black people. They're victimized by other Black people who are selling drugs. 25,000 black men were murdered during the crack era. 25,000 were murdered during the crack era, not to mention the ones that were uh, incarcerated for cocaine trafficking and everything else. Um, this um, type of, of, of comparison you know, to our culture, which is again, it's a choice you make. I never smoked a thing in my life. I never, I had two drinks in my life. So that was never an issue in my life, that's just me. Uh, and I'm fortunate enough, I was brought up in a home where that wasn't an issue. But don't go off and compare a brutal history, legalized history that we went through for, for about 100 years to drug laws. And you ever notice that no one seems to blame drunk driving laws for incarcerating drunk drivers. They don't seem to get that much sympathy. No one ever says, hey, you know how many people are incarcerated? We need to get rid of drunk driving laws because too many people get locked up for drunk driving. I'd never hear it because drunk driving is a crime. It is dangerous. People get killed every single day from somebody in a car who's high or drunk or impaired or something. So I just don't like the Jim Crow. Every time I look up some politician, uh, it's using, oh, Jim Crow as some sort of political cudgel in order to scare people. Uh, Raphael Warnock, who's running for Senate and he's Senate out of New Jersey, he stood on the, on the, on the floor and, and, and invoked Jim Crow. Joe Biden invokes Jim Crow. Uh, I'm, I'm so tired of hearing it. I, 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 so Michelle Alexander, she went to Ohio State. Uh, I tried to interview her for a radio show a few years ago, and I guess she had to wash her hair that night. Uh, but, <laughs> but, you know, but she gets to go around the college campuses and turning this into some sort of victimization. I don't, that's just my opinion, because I grew up in a neighborhood where everybody was selling drugs. I have a two-year-old nephew 
who died at age two because he got a hold of some crack. Uh, because his father was selling drugs. And they were bringing drugs through Columbus from Mexico. This is what kind of crime family that he, he involved in. So yeah. excuse me for this. But I'm just saying that I don't have a lot of sympathy for people who invoke Jim Crow all the time or who turn this into. Now, you can question US drug policy all you want. And that's a great discussion to have whether or not we've made the great uh, uh, the greatest decisions in terms of drug enforcement and drug policy but to constantly racialize things mm -hmm. and then wrap it in jim crow it just irks me well they like to use that to smear ronald reagan's um yes legacy to where they said he, he did that for racially charged reasons right. and that this is this is to promote segregation and um discrimination and incarceration without legally doing it which is which was her squiggly lined connection going all like this to get there. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know the story, and I and I know all about the the whole conspiracy of of, uh, of the Reagan cracker, which is again you can take uh, a bunch of little things that are that are not necessarily related, throw them in a bucket, and you got your whole little Reagan conspiracy, which people are still running their mouths about. Uh, but none of them they're celebrating some of the drug dealers of that era, like Rick, this guy Freeway Rick Ross who was working with the Colombians, bringing all sorts of drugs into California and throughout the country. He's now a celebrity who even got a key to the city by some pastor. Uh, he's people take pictures with him. Uh, he's named after Rick Ross, the, uh, at least the rapper Rick Ross took his name as a stage name. Freeway Rick Ross, that's where it comes from. Yeah. Uh, you have all these drug dealers who are celebrated. You had a movie made of Frank Lucas uh, by Denzel Washington who flooded Harlem with, with heroin, where the Italians were coming to him for, for heroin. Mm. So I don't necessarily look at this in this terms of this racialized nonsense, because just like slavery, slavery was a supply chain. It involved Arabs, Europeans, Africans, Spanish, French, Dutch, everybody was involved in it. Yeah. I don't think there are too many victims in that other than the people actually were slaves, but at the same time, everybody was involved in it. Drugs are the same way everybody's involved in it everybody has culpability in it but to sit up and make these racialized charges to open jim crow i think it's utterly it just bothers me because i know the history so well i study the history of it so well uh and i just don't like it when people every time you look up jim crow is thrown out on yeah. something yeah so that's that's why right I'm uh, about stuff like that yeah and not to get i guess i'm too much into like the necessarily racial talk either but everybody that is this book is being forced on their throats are white people that are told they can't make their own decisions they're yes. young white people like me that you cannot really have a decision on this because michelle what's her name michelle alexander michelle alexander is telling you this is how it is and you cannot have an opinion against that yes. and so many of them want to it's it's racist in its own right i think to assume things that one person tells you mm -hmm. and is. and that's something that i just see all the time um are people just not understanding the impact of of what even how they protest that makes sense yeah yeah um so it, I, I, I i i think the, these things uh and part of what uh me as a conservative and i'm sure you may agree on some things we have to work it's the individual mm. you know and and so we're not encouraging people uh, to be their best uh, as an individual. If you are encouraging them in some way to either make excuses or you're making a problem bigger than they are, 
right. uh, you, I, you, you should discourage behavior that encourages people to be a ward of the state. Yeah. And, 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 and with the, when it comes to medical marijuana policy, uh, I thought that in itself was a good idea because so many millions of people need help in terms of alternatives to opioids. That is something, again, I'm, I'm for. These other policies, I'm a little fuzzy on because of, I've seen the impacts of what it does when people are allowed to just smoke. And, 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 and then there's the, the economic impact of an employer who works in an area of, of safety. You work with heavy machinery. Yeah. You're working uh, in transportation. You don't want to hire a bunch of people that are high. Right. And I think that's a whole nother issue. Right. Because that, then you're liable yeah. for them cutting their arm off in a bit or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, I mean, I, to- I totally understand and get that. Um, drugs don't have a place in the workplace. They just don't, yeah. Yeah. including alcohol. I just don't agree with that. I, I don't agree with it either. And that's why they test you. And when I worked at a hotel, every time you broke a plate, they drug tested you. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that young people, when I say young, I'm, I'm going to say 30 and under, just because I don't think that you're probably that mature before 30 at this point anymore are particularly susceptible to things um, because of, I think, the media itself. And that's all encompassing. That's everything from CNN to the Washington Post to Hollywood to the music industry. I think that they do a terrible job of promoting illegal substance use and abuse. And I've said this before, and um, you're, you're pretty new to the podcast. This was probably last, maybe October or so. We had an episode where we discussed how Hollywood is probably the biggest and maybe the best propaganda machine in the U.S. Oh, absolutely. If not the world. I agree. Because anything that they put out there, all of a sudden, everybody's going to follow it for some reason. And then, and then all the movie stars get get on board with it, too. And this is coming from me. I, I mean, I love movies. I love supporting that industry and things like that, too. But I'd have a problem with it sometimes when they do things like that. When, when um, somebody at the Academy Awards can get up there and then just start spewing for lack of better words, bullshit out of their mouths that mm-hmm. they don't know what they're talking about. And they're influencing so many people and they're not even making their own decisions on this stuff. No, they're not. <laughs> and nobody gets that. They think no. it because, and I am, and I think we, t- we sort of touched on this before, I'm a uh, conservation climate conservation advocate, but Leonardo DiCaprio does not necessarily know what he's talking about and doesn't know what's best to say for people. Well, I'm, sure honestly, he, I'm sure he would want to fly out on his private jet and have a talk with you. I'm sure that he would. He can come over <laughs> here and do it, too. <laughs> and it's probably going to uh, probably going to end up like Django for him. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, he can absolutely do that. I just think that people need to be more responsible with the voices that they have. Just because you're a famous celebrity with millions of dollars doesn't mean that you all of a sudden know every single thing. Well, they know very little, and, and, and what bothers me is the fact that they don't realize uh, how, how well, they're self-unaware. They're so, they're so self-unaware. For instance, Bill Maher had a great piece, you might be able to see it, uh, matter of fact, I mean, you can't see it, where he talks about yeah. Hollywood and the gun culture and how many incidents of violence and guns that they produce, mm-hmm. and he has this montage of all these shooting scenes in these movies. Yeah. And he talks about how responsible uh, they are for, for the gun culture as much right. as they want to point fingers across the, the, the country to Washington. 
they're purveyors of violence and they're purveyors of, of, of gun culture as well. So look at look at yourselves in the mirror to realize your impact that you have on the minds of, of 16-year-old boys. Right. Every movie that comes out is just um, glamorizing that. Yes. I mean, whether it's from a war movie that would, and I'm not going to say that that's going to encourage an 18-year-old to go join the military just because they want to shoot people, but give an 18-year-old a gun that hasn't been able to do anything on their own before and then tell them that they like you're literally it's a license to kill if you go somewhere else what do you think is going to happen there are i mean soldiers throughout time have just committed atrocities without any sort of guide to do that they just do it and i think that that could provoke that sometimes but then you also have movies like um gang movies that would just encourage you to act like that stuff from casino to any of john, those john wick you know john, john wick which i love or or even <laughs> or even movies like uh boys in the hood that's a that's a culture to be yeah. that you should want to be part of like this is this is a story about these people and this is maybe like their struggles or something like that but then all of a sudden now you want to do it yeah i can tell you a movie that really had an impact direct impact on crime in a black community and you uh, you're a little young but you may have seen this movie uh set it off oh i haven't okay so set it off was a, a film with jada pinkett queen latifah and a couple other women and they were bank robbers they okay. decided they decided to rob banks and the way that they robbed these banks uh they went in and they get in got in and out of the bank in like two minutes so they had one person jump on the counter and they had somebody else say, hey, 30 seconds, mm -hmm. you know, 45 seconds. This is teaching you how to do it. Absolutely. And do you know that people in California who commit a lot of crime in Las Vegas and other cities, and particularly LA, were committing bank robberies in this manner. They were jumping up on the counter. Uh, there was even some young women they had arrested, I believe in subsequent years, for mm -hmm. robbing banks. And they were robbing in the same way they saw in the movies. Uh, this is what people do. They do, they do imitate movies. Yeah. Well, life imitates art, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and, and I think the drug culture, uh, which has intentionally uh, been uh, or tried to infiltrate, infiltrate the pop culture, and, it, and it's been proven. There was a book written about it, where uh, I forget the uh, the book, uh, but it was about it was interviewing Hollywood directors and producers where they talked about the messages that they intentionally put in their sitcoms and mm -hmm. their TV shows about drugs. And it was people like Marcy Carcy, who was a big time producer in the 80s and 90s. Uh, there were other producers for like that 70s show and others who talked about intentionally putting these messages in the yeah. films about drugs. I think the, the Ashton Kutcher show, was it that 70s show? Yeah. It's on, where they were all spinning around and, and they were high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was intentional. Yeah. And uh, they admitted as, as much. So when it, you're right. So when it comes to them influencing the culture, they are absolutely powerful in doing so, but they want to point fingers always in right. another direction. Well, and if you're an ultra-powerful, ultra-rich uh, political uh, you know, donor or benefactor of some sort, that's a pretty good place to put some of your money if you want to. You can just say, hey, can you you're making this new movie that's like a sequel to this or something like that. It did really well. Can you just sprinkle a little bit of this in there and I'll give you $20 million in funding for this movie or something like that just because it furthers my agenda for this sort of thing and that might influence the public for this reason yeah, i mean that is know. and that's so underhandedly effective more than just having a, someone campaign about it because it's a, such an impact on culture 
It is, and I'm, and and I think that the access of evil for me uh, in this country, uh, and I, I I despise these three things: uh, Hollywood, academia, and uh, the media. Okay, you despise media. academia. I just, academia is awful. Uh, okay, and and I'm not saying uh, education per se, uh, but academia, education is the idea. Yes, that, right. but academia, which is the the uh, the political agenda-driven cabal that miseducates most of our kids, that's academia. These are okay. these pro professors who produce America-hating, uh, Constitution-hating, anti-American young people yeah. who go out and, and 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 think they can tear up and burn up things in order to affect change. Right. Uh, the colleges are producing not some of the best human beings right now. No, uh, so academia, uh, people who are teaching courses like queering the Bible, you know, and other nonsense, or teaching the history like, of Ma like what? Madonna. Queering the Bible is that what you yeah, said? Yeah, what, do, what, do you, course, what do you mean by that? There was a course called queering the queering the Bible, which was offered at an upstate New York, New York college, uh, where it taught about questioning the. Uh, sexual identities of people in the Bible. Uh, oh, why yeah. is that even important? <laughs> I have no Does idea. Does that matter? This is academia. They they have they have to justify their hundred thousand dollars salaries uh, by teaching nonsense. There was a course offered on Madonna at one college. <laughs> uh, yes, they, they get paid a lot of money to teach a lot of nonsense. To yeah. even, to Akron University, to their credit, got rid of a lot of courses that didn't lead to anything. So they cut out a lot of courses that they were teaching kids that didn't lead to the, any kind of real education or, or getting a job. So that's no. to their credit, they did that. Yeah. So academia, multimedia or the, or the mainstream media and Hollywood are to me the three wheels that influence this culture the most mm -hmm. and they are destroying this country from within. Yeah, well, they're all one, one sided, one directional aiming at one other group of people causing Pretty much disruption in the worst way and a separation between you can't go outside and tell someone who you voted for without getting ready to be getting out in a fight with them. Yeah, I hear in California it's real bad. You can't it's, even have a discussion about the issues, let alone the candidates. It's very bad. I mean, because then it'll all of a sudden just turn into a fight. Yeah, yeah, it's very bad. And, and, and people have no idea what a revolving door it is between Hollywood uh, and the, the media in Washington. Lots of people in Washington are married to people in the media. They are literally in bed together. Right. And, and they go back and forth. And then there are people in Hollywood who will be who were speech writers. For instance, one of John, uh, um, I believe his name is John Favreau. He was a- Yeah. yeah. No, he is a huge name. No, he does everything for Disney right now. He is, exactly. he is spearheading all the Star Wars stuff for- And you know, he was a speech writer for, uh, I believe, Barack Obama. I didn't know that. I know he was a political speechwriter. Uh, I don't know even if it's for a couple of years, but uh, you can you can fact check me on that. But John Favreau, that's how I know the name. Hey, um, do you think that one of our devices is listening to us? <laughs> <laughs> Why did it that just be. come up all of a sudden? <laughs> oh, it did okay. come up? Yeah. Well, okay. So this is a different John Favreau. Yes. So this is not the one that's involved with Disney. Oh, this it is not. Okay. No. So... Okay. He's a podcaster and former director of speech writing for President Barack Obama. I can't, all his stuff seems to be just by a very brief glance, because I thought this was somebody else, is a um, 
it all seems to be politically. Uh, so they have founded. the same name, the same exact They've name. They've got the same name. So, but if I look up, let me show you this. Let me actually just show you. So this isn't going to help. Oh, well, well actually, listening. now this John Favreau does have a, uh, a screenwriting background that I'm looking at. Yeah. So, so this is the one that I thought you were talking about. He's an Iron Man and he's the man behind Disney at this point and everything. This is, and you've probably seen him. I have not. Oh, well, then this is the John Favreau that you're talking about. Now, he has a, a, a screenwriting background. He actually left politics to go pursue screenwriting. Oh, okay. So they kind of like, that's what I said, this kind of, you know, you go from Washington, he's going into Hollywood, uh, and some of the people in, in, in the White House, like John, George Stephanopoulos, goes from working for the Clintons to working for ABC News, and then they have spouses in, the, in, in the Washington, spouses in yep. the media, the press secretary, her, her girlfriend or wife or whomever works for CNN. Mm. Uh, so it, it, there is a, a, like you said earlier, there's a connection between all of these different Yeah, groups. well, I mean, hey, if you're a, if you're a speechwriter for Obama and you do, he thinks you do a good job, he can, he can get you into anywhere. <laughs> Who's going <laughs> to not answer a call from Obama? <laughs> Even I would, and I didn't vote for him. Yeah. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, you know, do a good job and write for something that it doesn't matter, you know, as long as as long as you do a good job, then we'll make you rich for it. So as long as it's politics. Absolutely. Somehow everybody in politics is a friggin' multimillionaire. I mean, look at Nancy Pelosi. That's what I'm saying. There, there's such a, uh, uh, an elitism from a lot of these people who are who, who make so much money and which mm -hmm. is fine. But I think what they do is they they try to play uh, the populist game. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm with the little guy. No, yeah. you're not. You don't associate with the little guy. Uh, the little guy doesn't butter your bread or pay your mortgage. And well, I mean, you if know, you're like her and you've been in politics for, I mean, 40 years, a lifetime, yeah, almost. You're so you don't even know what life was like before you did that. And not not to mention, she has 120 million dollars to boot. Yeah, and and, and that's not not to mention what her husband uh, he does well financially, and their districts are in ruin. And they don't, she doesn't even, I don't, I know Maxine Waters has a $7 million home and she doesn't even live in her district. Yeah. Well, of course not. Why would she? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, also there's, there's people that too, like, um, you know, are you familiar with Linda McMahon? Uh, yes, I am. So she, I guess that her political career is successful because she was in Donald Trump's cabinet. Before that, yeah. it wasn't necessarily the greatest. I think she had a couple failed runs as senator for yeah. Connecticut. And she was a uh, head of the SBA. But this is also somebody who, <laughs> I mean, regardless of her background, has access to billions, billions of dollars because of oh, Vince. Absolutely. Because of her husband, who is probably worth $3 billion. Yeah. But I'll say this about her. Uh, well, she, she was with the SBA, and in that administration, the SBA did some very good things, uh, particularly for the, for the Black community in terms of small business lending. And I know that because I actually interviewed the regional head of the SBA oh. uh, when he came to Cleveland to talk about uh, some of the programs that were uh, being implemented at uh, member banks, such as Fifth Third Bank, Huntington Bank, uh, because they previously, during the Obama administration, didn't do so well as per the Wall Street Journal report of lending to Black businesses. The Trump administration increased that by a significant amount, and Linda McMahon spearheaded that whole 
training as well. So yeah. I will say that, uh, and we had a, also, we invited like 50 people out to, to hear the regional guy speak right after our interview. So I, I'm, I, I'm a fan of hers and yeah. that, that SBA uh, program that they had out during that time. Right. And I'm not going to, I don't want to say that um, people with money can't make good decisions for politics. I mean, this is somebody who had absolutely, I mean, no drive to do this other than maybe she wanted to make a change. Maybe she saw there was a gap in something and she wanted to go do something about it. And she has the resources that other people don't because she was CEO of now a multi-billion dollar company Oh yeah, that she started. So yeah. she can't, you know, of course she has a voice and people like that should be able to do things too. I just think that when it's somebody who is a career politician that got rich off of the office, Absolutely. that That's is bad. And, and you're right. That's what I'm saying. Like Joe Biden, I'm 53 years old. Joe Biden has been in politics pretty much my whole life. And he is now a multimillionaire with multiple mm -hmm. homes and everything else. Oh yeah. A guy who didn't have much to start with when he started. Now he is a multimillionaire from politics. And he has mm -hmm. never had any other job but a politician for the past 50 years. Unlike, say, Linda McMahon or even Betsy DeVos, who came into politics already wealthy, already active in doing certain things, they didn't need politics to become wealthy. So, right, right you and I are saying the same thing. I agree. Uh, no one should, should come into politics, you know, worth less than a million dollars and then in 10, 20 years be worth 25, 30 million dollars, something right. wrong. right. And I mean, so many people, he was obviously, um, he was a vice president. So the four years, this is according to Forbes, uh, the four years that he was out of office between um, the end of Obama's presidency and then the beginning of his term, he had earned over $17 million. A lot of that would be from speeches and stuff like that. That's not necessarily a political thing. Maybe those were, I would, I hope not. Maybe those were leadership discussions or something like what Bill Clinton's doing with masterclass and, and Hillary does mm -hmm. it too. And you want to talk about some of the most corrupt people that there are, but. Yeah. I, you know, the, the, uh, a lot of that was dubious. He's, he has $5 million of unexplained income uh, that he, that he can't account for. Joe does. And, yes, he does. That's and a also, lot. <laughs> that, that's, that's a lot. <laughs> and he's dodged half a million dollars in, 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 uh, in uh, uh, taxes. Uh, they kind of like AOC that wants to talk about tax the rich with her with her dress, and yes. then you find out that she owes just a ton of money in taxes that she's trying to fight. It's always the case when she's got how much is she, how much money does she have? She's okay. only worth uh well, so her salary is what one hundred forty thousand or something like that as a uh, congressperson. Yeah, the salaries are. I mean, that's a healthy salary, but that's not like ridiculous. And well, not DC. DC, that's nothing. <laughs> well, is it the DC $140,000 doesn't go a long way at no, all. No, no. And that is an unbelievably expensive place to live. Um, so I'm sure she has other means uh, that, you know, of, of surviving, particularly off the campaign cash they raised for their races, which is substantial. Uh, that's another way to supplement their income. But I think that... Uh, okay, so I guess it depends who you, who you talk to on here. This... I don't know if Reuters is necessarily a um, trustworthy source. Reuters, mm -hmm. by, this is published by Reuters Fact Check. Okay, so take this as you will, but this says that she's got a net worth of $29 million. I doubt that highly. This is somebody who was, who was serving drinks two years ago. Yeah, uh, then this says 100,000. That makes more sense. Yeah, that's, or 200, so. Yeah. She, she's been in political office just a couple of uh, four years or so. She was a waitress, cocktail waitress. Everybody knows that. 
Yeah. She has she's she's written a book and yeah. She's so yeah. when she gets a deal to narrate something on Netflix or Apple TV, then she will start, then that figure will be a lot higher. Or when she runs for our, say her fifth term in office, mm-hmm. she, she will have had enough time to rake in enough campaign cash to to live off of it and, and recycle that money through her cronies like they all do. Uh, that's how Bernie Totally Sanders, illegal, not ethical yeah. by any means, but they no. do it. Bernie Sanders owns three homes. And uh, when they spend $5 million on media, for instance, mm-hmm. that money goes through a company, which is partially uh, associated with his wife. So that money kind of boomerangs back into the, to the Bernie Sanders family. Right. What about, um, who was the other, the, the mayor of New York, he's worth like $54 billion. He ran for president. Oh, uh, Bloomberg. Last time, Bloomberg. Yeah. Big it, fan of, of, of Bloomberg uh, media, not Bloomberg, but I love Bloomberg media. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's somebody who shoved just because they had it $600 million into their own campaign and it yeah. didn't really go that far. No, but I, 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 I've always loved Bloomberg as a news source, even though it's kind of leads a certain way. Yeah. But I, I subscribe to Bloomberg Markets Magazine. I read Bloomberg Quarterly. I, I love Bloomberg. I watch the Bloomberg channel. It's a great source of financial information. I just yeah. don't my political views you know from them but uh, yeah I, I think that they're probably a credible news source and they like you, like you said especially with like finances and stuff like that it's one of the top ones other Absolutely. than um i can't remember what the other ones are doesn't matter yeah so um anyways back to sort of the to close off on that marijuana discussion that we had mm-hmm. did was i able to change your mind on anything no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I will say we 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 do agree mostly. Yeah. On 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 the, on the medical issue, we agree that uh, there are certain alternatives to incarceration that are better. I just am sort of the recreational thing. I'm not a fan of it, um, just because I think the social impact. So sure. I think money you're not spending on incarceration, uh, but you're spending it in other places. Uh, but I am a fan of medical. Okay. Well, let's just uh, let's just uh, agree to disagree on that one. Yep. And uh, we will be back. Um, love to have you back as soon as possible uh, with another with another episode of the new topic. I would love to come back. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, it is. Well, uh, Khalid, thank you for taking the time out today uh, for coming on. And this should be posted pretty soon. And um, thanks you everybody for listening. We will be back hopefully pretty soon with another episode.